Welcome to Magic Talks, hosted by Magic Man London. Magic Talks, Magic Man London. Hi everyone, welcome to Magic Talks. My guest this week has done costumes for the London Olympics, X-Men, Harry Potter, uh, Walt Disney, Disney films, Batman Begins, Doctor Who, Marvel, and as we're recording this on May the 4th, she's obviously done Star Wars. Please welcome Emma to Magic Talks. Hello, thank you very Hello. much for having you. How are you? Very good, thank you. Great to be yeah. here, excited. How's your, how's your week been? It's only Tuesday. Uh, how's your bank holiday? <laughs> uh, very nice, thank you. Yeah, busy, always busy. working, but, but good. Perfect, let's get straight into it, because uh, we met on Clubhouse and everyone knows how much I love Clubhouse. And I think you were in a room once and I went, I need you on the podcast. And then you went... <laughs> Uh, I can't do this because I'm working on a deadline, but I can do this. It's like perfect. And it worked out perfectly because we're on May the 4th. So <laughs> uh, the big question, how did you get into the industry? So I went to London College of Fashion and I did a degree in costume and technical effects. So the first part of that the first year and a half was um, learning everything there is about costume or as much as you can in a year and a half and then you could either stick with costume or you could then go into technical effects so some so the, the course was very much split uh, you could either do makeup costume or technical effects so you kind of learn a little bit of everything I went into technical effects which is the creatures and the kind of creature costume side of things special effects costumes and so obviously left there in 2002 and then um, I put loads of you know CVs out I did loads of short films, um, yeah, low budget stuff. And then I managed to get a traineeship on Harry Potter 3, which is the Prisoner of Azkaban. Nice. And then it just kind of snowballed from there, really. I just met people and it's just one of those industries that, you know, once you know people, then you hear about other jobs and it goes from there. It, it sounds a bit like the entertainment into me, like doing magic and everything. You do an event for somebody and they go, oh, we know so-and-so. And before you know it, your name's all over the place. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you, you probably chose like one of the best things because you see some special effects and you kind of don't really see them. You can't go, oh, I did this, but with you, it's like oh, I've done Chewbacca, I can, I've done this, I've done that. <laughs> Reading your kind of CV, you've done like all the cool programs. <laughs> and films. <laughs> so when you first of all, do you watch those movies once you've done the costumes them, or are you like one of these people that go? I really don't, I'm fed up of it. It's like, I've done the costume, I've been on set. I really don't want to watch the movie. Well, sometimes I am a bit fed up of it. <laughs> but luckily, uh, I think that's just natural when you're doing something, you know, 12 hours a day for 10 months or something, you're going to get a little bit fed, not always, but you might get a bit fed up with it. But luckily, given the way that films work, it takes about a year in post-production anyway. Yeah. So by the time it comes out, you, you've forgotten anything bad that might have happened <laughs> and you just reminisce about the good stuff and you're excited to see it. But I think it's important to watch your work because then you can learn from it, see which bits might not look as good as you thought they did or okay. which bits they've CG'd over that they didn't like, you know. Um, yeah. And you can think about that a bit, you know, if you in the future are able to put any of that interaction then you can think about that and put that into play so with that in mind as you've now been in it kind of how many years have you been doing it now 
uh, my first film was yeah, beginning of 2003. That was Harry Potter. So. Wow. So what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career? For anyone who's thinking about doing it, what's the one kind of thing you went, wish someone had told me this? That is a really hard thing because I don't know really what was taught to me at university or what I've sort of learned. But I think one thing that's really important to remember is how connected the whole industry is. And I thought it was kind of impenetrable. <laughs> I shouldn't say that word. Hard to get right. into. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> but actually, once you start meeting people, uh, it kind of snowballs a bit. You know, if you're lucky, it can snowball. So I think that's a, a good thing to remember that it might feel like it's really impossible to get into. But the more you do, even if it's not massive budget, even if it's low budget, you know, one of the first things I worked on was with um, Erica Ockvist and she is now a very successful makeup artist. So and she was directing that and that was a low budget thing that I just found through the Internet, unpaid, worked my socks off, you know, all summer. So you just never know who you're going to meet. Everyone's sort of on the on the similar journey, hopefully. Yeah. So, so uh, reading your CV and everything, you you go and kind of you're a fabricator on this and a fabricator on that. What exactly is a fabricator? <laughs> <laughs> so I do. <laughs> I do. It's not a metal welder, as it can also be. Um, I do. <laughs> I do the fabric side of special effects or creature effects. So anything that involves sewing or soft, uh, some people call it soft engineering, soft sculpting. So I don't sculpt with clay, um, but I do sculpt with foam, as in sort of like upholstery foam, but a higher quality retriculated foam, it's called. So I can sculpt with that. I can use um, another material called plasterzo, and I pattern things and make them super lightweight um, it really depends on the job but it's I basically put all the other mini departments within creatures we put them together we, you know we put zips in we put buckles we figure out how all the jigsaw goes together that could be one type of costume it really depends quite a bit broad <laughs> a bit confusing I'm afraid but it so, depends on how the costume is made if it's a fat suit then I'm doing it all on my own that's completely fabricated and it's much more like costume in that it's all sewing and sculpting of the foam, like I say, or if it's the other side where it's something that's been heavily sculpted out of a, a type of clay and then cast and molded, I might be piecing it all together and making the whole thing cohesive, figuring out how people get in, get out, building the understructures, things like that. So most costumes are kind of made out of clay or kind of frame or something like that. There's only like three or four main things, I presume. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there it, I mean, pretty much anything can be made into a costume if the kind of role stroke character requires it. So the main things we use are, yes, like you say, three or four things. It will be foam latex, it will be silicon, it will be retriculated foam, which is like I say, what we carve out of. Um, but we also use plasters. But then there could also be um, crin, which is like a, a plastic kind of fabric like it's like plastic filament woven filament almost that that moves in a certain way I use that I mean there's we often have to do R&D because nearly every job has never been done before you know you think of different yeah. different costumes I mean superheroes are pretty similar you know you've always got the muscles and things like that um but almost every big film there's something that's kind of not been done before and you have to figure out a way to to make that happen 
and that's month upon month before you even start kind of going right this is what it's gonna you i presume it's a bit like a magic trick where i go i start at the end going this is how it's gonna finish i presume you're like that it's like this is what the finished article has to look like what can we use to make it yeah exactly and it can really depend on which way the director wants to go or the head of creatures wants to go you know they might say no we're definitely doing it in silicon so then you have to think about all the different things that that pertains to you know silicon's quite heavy is it going to be the whole thing in silicon you know i mean there's so many different things <laughs> that go into it but yes basically we get given a drawing and we have to figure out where the person is if it's a person if it's a costume not a puppet or yeah. an animatronic where the person goes inside and then sort of build out from the person's skeleton so that when they move their arm then the the shoulder of the creature which may be 10 inches above oh. the human shoulder how their shoulder their own the actor's shoulders movement pertains to the outside movement and how that's going to engage how the muscles on the outside are going to look just by the actor moving god you don't think about that, do you? <laughs> I was watching something on YouTube a few weeks ago about Hagrid, and I always thought they used like an over-the-camera like shoulder to get his height. Turns out they actually use a chap who is like seven foot tall, and they build yeah. up around him for the tall shots. Martin like, Bayfield, who's a world-renowned rugby player. Yeah, and it's just like, yeah. I didn't even. It doesn't even cross your mind, which I think is a good thing. When you're watching the movie, you're not going, "Oh, that so and so just dressed up in a costume." I presume that's what you mean by kind of going, he's a tall chat, but Hagrid's still taller than that. And if he moves, the costume's got to move with it. Yeah, so we might build him up from his soles, might put blocks in his shoes, literally to, to build up his height that way. But there's only so much you can do because then that might have a knock on with the, the ankle movement or the knee movement or, you know, different things like that. You can drop the knees sometimes. You know, I've made monkeys where you drop the knees so that then it looks a bit lower. Um, and with Hagrid, like you were saying, when um, I think it was on three, not the other ones, but I think it was on three where the animatronic guys, the mechanics, we call them mechies, they do all, obviously all the engineering, all the physically making the animatronics move. Yeah. And Martin had a full um, mask, a full head mask on, completely covering himself. And it was completely Robert Coltrane's face and the animatronic guys, the Mechie guys were puppeteering and moving his face and it was wow. talking in the room and everyone was like floored, you know. The technology now is just mind blowing and you would, you would be hard pressed to see the difference now between, so one, and sorry. So one of the questions I got asked was, what's your view on CG versus real costumes? But it sounds like they're kind of they're using both. They're using the CGI and animatronics with the real costumes. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I have nothing against CG. I know some people might think that I do, but I think that together it can be really, really mind blowing. Um, it's just a bit upsetting sometimes when the director or producer or whoever it is that's made that decision decides that it's just going to be CG and that there's no real practical effects. Um, and that's a bit upsetting given that I know what these guys can do in, you know, with the actual animatronics and mechanics. Yeah. Sometimes it's a bit upsetting because you think, oh, but luckily CG is still more expensive than practical effects. So often yeah. it goes the other way. <laughs> well, they're here to say for the moment. <laughs> Let's hope so. I, I, do you reckon, like I say humans, uh, people like me who don't know what's going on behind the scenes, do you reckon we can tell the difference between the CGI and like 
a real life one? Because I have a feeling we can. Even yeah, I think so. I think so, but not always. Um, I think it depends on the team behind the practical effects, of course, because you know you're going to get different levels, and if they're yeah. not very good, then you're it's going to be obvious. Um, but some of the you know some of the guys that I've seen, they're just so so clever, um, and I think. You, You'd be hard. I mean, like I say, when Hagrid walked in, it was it was Hagrid. It was Robbie Coltrane as a seven foot guy. You know, it wasn't. There was. I mean, the fact that there was no noise coming out, but he was making all the facial movements was pretty much the only way that you could see that it wasn't him. You know. Yeah. So, bearing in mind we're talking about all these amazing costumes, what's been your favourite costume to work on? Oh, that is such a hard question. I know. And I had. It's like the hardest question that people ask me, I think. Because and I and I can't answer it with just one. It's just too it's just too difficult. So Let's I've nailed it. I've nailed it down to four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all for different reasons. So um I'll go uh, okay, so go in reverse first... order. So start with four and then we can build up to like the best one, in your opinion. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're all, all for different reasons, but I'll start with, I'll do it in order of my career. So Batman was, um, you know, really amazing to work on. I absolutely loved Batman growing up and working on the Batsuit was just like a dream come true. When I got asked to do that, it was just like, you know, amazing. When do I start? Um, so yeah, that was one of my favorites to work on. Uh, Batman. The next one I would say is Iggle Piggle for In the Night Garden. Uh, kids tv show which still I can't believe how much he still loved um I made lifelong friends on that job it was three years long I think that job wow um we made a hundred episodes um which is why it's still going and still sort of rotating um both my kids absolutely loved him so that's been really lovely to see you know and I'm known in the family as Ziggle Piggle's mum kind of thing <laughs> um and so that that's that was really lovely to be a part of you know all the children I know their childhood is is amazing. Um, then I would say uh, then comes Chewbacca in my yeah. career, and of, for obvious reasons. I mean, he's completely iconic. You know, to say I've worked on him is amazing, and watching it being filmed and watching all those amazing scenes for The Force Awakens was really special you know I had to pinch myself a few times and there were some amazing experiences as part of that um, and then finally the flash for Justice League and that was because uh, well first of all it was a great team it was a really lovely team everyone got along brilliantly it was like dream team as they say um, but it was really hard technically which was really nice. It was really challenging. You know, there's lots of kind of minute gluing. We do a lot of gluing as fabricators. Um, so I had to, I did the headpiece, not the not from the neck down. So that was another kind of completely separate team. And I was part of a team as well for the headpiece, I will add. So I was just doing one small part. It's always a small cog in a big, yeah. you know, big machine even even as even you know for anything I've worked on I think unless I'm doing a fat suit which is generally on my own if it's carved foam um which was a job that I've just been doing I've been making a fat suit but um yeah the flash will I had to pattern the cowl that goes over the head the kind of balaclava if you like um which had to be patterned in a 
very specific way so obviously you can get it on and off but all the seams had to be underneath all the different pieces and then the pieces had to be glued so that they were floating over each other and it, it's a bit complicated to wow. explain stroke understand without <laughs> looking at it um but yeah that was you know that was a great sense of achievement that we all managed to to pull that off um and it and it looked good so yeah, yeah. that was a really nice question which leads on to the next question beautifully uh what goes into making a costume so like I presume the director comes to you going, this is the character we want, this is what we want him to kind of look like, or do you have an input on kind of what the character looks like? Do they go, this is what we want the characters portraying, and you get a bit of artistic license with it? It really depends on the film, and obviously the bigger the film, the less input you have, um, depending on the hierarchy, but mostly I don't have any any say in it. Um, so it starts off as a concept design with the um, costume designer. They will work directly with an illustrator who will create a beautiful drawing, stroke illustration, usually on computers nowadays. And then that comes to us. And then as a department, we would talk about the different elements that go into that. So which bits would be fabricated. So they'd be soft sculpted or which pieces would be sculpted. And then, so, it, like I was saying earlier, depending on which viewpoint or which angle you go at it, nearly always in films it's sculpted in the sculpting department, which is a mini department of creatures. You know, creatures has all these different departments and I'll go through those. So you, they give you a concept design, we talk about it, talk, and the, the heads of all the mini departments come together and decide which bits are going to be done in which way, what materials are going to use, or does there need to be R&D that goes into it. Then it will be generally sculpted if we go down that route so it'll be sculpted out of a type of clay there's obviously many different types of clay uh, depending on how they want to do it and preference so it'll be sculpted then it will go from the sculpting department to the molding department they will mold it out of um, plaster or usually fiberglass nearly always fiberglass actually or it could be silicon again depending on what the final thing's going to be made out of that will be molded. Then it will go to a different department, which is the casting department, and they will cast it with foam latex or silicon. Uh, just generally, those are the two main things that are used. And then once it's gone from the casting department, it will be pieced together generally. Again, <laughs> it can change, but it, it might be painted first or it might come to us first and we'll piece it together. We'll figure out, all, like I said earlier, where the zips go, where the buckles go, how this is going to work, how that's going to work. It's a jigsaw and we put it all together. Then it'll be painted and then it'll be um, hair punched or furred, depending on you know what kind of thing it is. So Chewback will be the third, which I presume they're all done individually or are they kind of? Yes, so Chewback is different. He was a sculpted head, but it's his own body as his okay. body. Um, he had a little bit of a, a tummy, but that was it. That was the only padding and it was very minimal yeah. um, just to give him a little bit uh, or something because the actor, so on The Force Awakens, it was a new actor as well. So it was Peter Mayhew, who was the original Chewbacca, but then it was also Jonas Swatanamo. I think that's how it's said it. I'm not looking at Jonas. First of all, I don't know. Jonas. Like, <laughs> we'll just say Jonas. You might want to cut a bit out. <laughs> <laughs> so on The Force Awakens, it was Peter Mayhew from the original Star Wars, and then it was Jonas as well. And he was sort of doing a lot more of the active 
pieces because obviously Peter was, I think it was 71 when we filmed The Force Awakens. And so, yeah, so he's obviously, he's, he's a young, Jonas is a young guy, he's very fit. So we wanted to give him a bit of a tummy because as, as well, Chewie had aged as well, things like that. Um, so he had basically had a Lycra suit, pretty much like a onesie that I made. And then um, they hair punched into it and each hair is individually knotted. Wow. Um, I forget the exact stats, but I think it was something like, um, and Maria will kill me if she listens to this. <laughs> it was something like 11 weeks with five people hair punching continuously for one suit. It was as crazy as that. I'm pretty sure that's that's right. But yeah, so um, Maria Cork and her team were doing yeah. all the, the hairing. And then Maria and I went with it on set for six months as well. Um, and yeah, she's thought... continued doing Chewies, the, the subsequent Chewies for the other films. But I've stopped. Uh, I sort of stopped doing full time after The Force Awakens just because of the children. Yeah. No, I remember when we were talking Clubhouse, it's like, oh, I know, like, you know, Maria, because I know you've met her a few times through like the magic side of it. And mm -hmm. it goes to show how small the industry is. Just kind of like, we all kind of know each other in a really long winding way. It's, yeah. it's a big industry, but at the same time, it's actually quite small. Yeah, yeah. Um, a question that just popped into my head as you were talking about like the different materials it can make, be made from, I presume you get a list of an actor's allergic to something. So if they're allergic to latex or something, I presume you can't make the costume out of it. Yeah, I've not. Uh, usually, we find out about that halfway through filming. <laughs> As in, they weren't allergic before, but they might be getting a sort of disagreement to it because they've been having it glued to their face every day for six yeah. months. Um, but generally, if they're highly allergic to something, I, I mean, I've never, I've not really known it, but I can imagine that they wouldn't then get the part because usually it's not a big name it's oh, yeah, a skin... it be, does it no it's it's what's called a skin artist so skin artists are the people that you don't see that are underneath all the costumes um and they will have you know they often incredibly fit because it's you know it's hard work carrying yeah. a lot of weight a lot of mechanics um so they're usually incredibly fit sometimes come from the stunt world we often dress stunt men as well and ladies um, so yeah, skin artists usually. So I imagine they wouldn't even go for it if they were, you know, allergic. Yeah. So we've talked about your favourite costume. What's the weirdest one you've ever worked on? <laughs> the weirdest one. Again, this is kind of a, a tricky question. I think the weirdest one would be, <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this or if any of the listeners will remember this, but the hug in a mugs. The hug in a mug arms. Oh, look, the big arms. Cup of soup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the big blue furry arms. That's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Cool. I mean, I've made a lot of weird stuff, but I think it's mostly kind of creaturey stuff. I can kind of imagine coming weird. home with that one. It's like, what, what do you work at the moment? Big arms. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right, what, what else is in the soup? That's it. <laughs> it's like a friend that. I've got, a more, I've got a friend that was more impressed with, with me making that than anything else I've worked on as well. <laughs> oh my goodness, that was like fairly simple compared to all the other stuff. 
yeah it's just I guess it's just kind of a weird thing isn't it like massive arms with no head and no legs yeah I don't miss it off the tea beans put it that way no I mean pretty much everything I make is weird and (laughs) like there's nothing there's nothing normal you know so uh what are the biggest misconceptions about what you do biggest misconceptions are that it's very glamorous and that we are all really highly paid (laughs) um unfortunately sometimes it is glamorous sometimes you know it's like you're standing next to big names and it's like this is really cool or you know you get to go to the the rap parties and things like that that's really cool but generally, you know, I always say to people, I get covered in other people's sweat and that is definitely not glamorous. I mean, no. some people could be into that, but it's not, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to remember as well, you know, when I'm looking after people on set that generally nine times out of 10, they can't use their own hands. So, you know, if they want a drink, I give them a drink. If they need air, you know, in because they've got a big head, I open the character mouth, put you know, we have these fans put the air into their mouth, um, things like that. It's, it's a lot of kind of looking after people and making sure that their well-being is good, that they're, you know, they're getting enough liquids, they're getting, able to get food, they're able to get breaks. Sometimes we're their kind of voice to the assistant directors to say, you know, he really does need to break now or she needs to go to the toilet or whatever it may be, um, things like that. So, um, yeah, and the biggest miss lots of people think I'm a makeup artist I'm not a makeup artist um I am a face painter (laughs) in my (laughs) other life but that's nothing to do with the film world um it's but it's hard for people to understand because it's a very thin line between what I do and special effects makeup and often my colleagues especially the sculptors they will do but not just the sculptors but they will do both jobs. So they'll do the special special effects makeup application and making and all of that. But fabricators, 99% don't, they, they're not makeup artists. So usually fabricators err more on the costume side, if that makes sense. And other creature people err more on the makeup side. But a lot of people introduce me as either, I, also, I usually get called either a makeup artist or a costume designer. And I'm definitely not a costume designer. And it's really kind of, if someone says that, especially if it's on any kind of radio program or anything like that, because costume designers obviously get their backs up about that. And we, and it's very, very different, our job. You know, we're physically making them. They just tell us what to do, if that makes sense. So yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> we'll ask you one or two more questions and then we'll move on to like the other stuff you do. Uh, when they're filming on set, I presume you're kind of hands-on in the studio as well, kind of adjusting the costume if it needs to be, repairing it if it needs to be. Yeah, so it depends on the job. Um, so, yeah, different films. So, like, The Flash, I was part of the costume effects team. So sometimes I'll be part of the creature effects team. Sometimes I'll be makeup effects team, which, again, confuses people, given what I just said. And then sometimes I will be um, yeah, part of the costume effects. So on that, I was part of costume effects. And generally in the costume department, they'll have the people in the, make, in the making 
workshop uh, making the costumes and then there's a separate team a separate on-set team that looks after the costumes on set whereas creatures we normally make the creature costume and then take it onto set but it yeah. definitely depends on which part you have to play and if you're asked if you're available you know generally now as a mum I I'm not available to do those crazy hours so I don't do it um but yeah it depends it depends on the job but I have done a lot of taking the costumes I've made onto set yeah and right. and then you're kind of hands-on and it's all it's it's all or nothing when you're on set you're either you know go 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 and you never want people waiting on you because obviously it's thousands of pounds per minute. Yeah. So you're you're trying desperately to get them into the costume or in the right place or what have you in, you know, make sure all the, the costume checks are correct for continuity, that kind of thing, if there is anything like that. Um, so it's all go, 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 or it's a hell of a lot of waiting around and you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs and yeah. drinking coffee. <laughs> and finally, to wrap up the film segment, what's the best part of your job? The best part of my job... I wrote this down. <laughs> <laughs> I should know it off the top of my head. Oh yeah. <laughs> I did write it down. <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Well, there's so many I wanted to make sure they got it all in. Right. So the best part of it, again, it's another really hard thing to answer the best part of my job. So I think the people are a big part of it. The industry, the way it is, is that generally the people that you work with are really nice they're really easy to get on with and so that is a big part of it that's what I miss when I'm not not working is the people um and the atmosphere that you, when you're working and you're all hands to the pump and you're all creating this one big thing is really special and just because you're spending so much time with people you get to know yeah. people really well you know and then the the feeling when you see your work on the screen it's just like amazing that's that has to be the best thing um and that's what pulls me back time and time again is that kind of knowing that you've worked on something that other people love that becomes iconic or they just go oh, I love that film or oh, that's amazing that xyz um and I think it's just, when you're an artist when you you know, when you make something, any kind of artist, you make something and you finish something and you get that kind of high, like a, a small high, yeah. and that's what keeps you creating. That's that's what you get as an artist. Sometimes you, on the journey, you think, why am I doing this? And then you make it and you're like, hey, amazing, I've made yeah. that. And it's like that, but it's kind of tenfold because you, you know that everyone can see what you've made and it's there forever. It's it's always going to be there. Best feeling in the world, like when I finish a gig, you're on like cloud nine. And yeah. it's worth all the hours of practice that go into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, perfect. Moving on. So uh, last question on the films is this. Uh, what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? That's quite hard as well. I don't think, this sounds a bit silly, but I don't think I've had any sort of major big failures, either that or I've blocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably more likely um there, there was uh one job I was on there was a really bad atmosphere amongst the crew and I think what I've learned from that but I think this is an age thing as well is that I should have stood up for myself more um so I would definitely stand up for myself more um if that were to happen again but I don't yeah. think it would but yeah oh, I was looking for some juicy gossip there it's like one set yeah. and like, this happened <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a bit like someone goes, kind of, what's been your worst gig? Yet yeah, you do just blank them out. It's like, 
move on because you don't want to remember yeah. that and we've all had I them. mean yeah I mean like I say that that job that I was talking about was pretty horrific um and it took me a little while to get over but and obviously I'm not going to name which one it was um but you know you what doesn't kill you makes you stronger I really believe in that and if you can get something from it or teach you know all these little things that may feel like setbacks or they feel like the world's against you is teaching you something and you've got to try and rise up against it and find any like little thing that you can hold on to to get you through it and then move on and and think what you would do differently yeah learn from your mistakes and I think that's what some people are afraid of it's like what happens if they mm. say no mm. if they say no just move on to the next one or try again rephrase it yeah exactly yeah I mean the first day that I was on um, Harry Potter was, as a trainee my boss said to me I made something and it was never going to be seen and he said not like that like this you know very in a very dramatic way and I was a bit like oh like I can and I thought in my head in that split second I could either cry and I was in the middle of the room you know and everyone would have seen yeah and I thought and this wouldn't have happened but in my head I was like I could cry and get sent home well that, you know that wouldn't happen but um that's you know that's what you're thinking or I can just go okay and go back to the machine and get on and and try and do it better to to ha and look and see what they mean you know and try and make it closer to that yeah it's like my dad will want to go because he likes drawing and painting and stuff like that and he thought i'll take some art classes so he goes along and they're drawing like a bowl of fruit or something like that he draws it and he spends all his time on it the teacher comes over basically screws it up and goes draw it again and you can't get attached to that first one and the second one ironically was better mm. and it's like yeah look we all make mistakes but you have to move on from when i'm road testing tricks which i've been doing I've been working on new stuff during lockdown, but only now am I going out testing it because we can catch up with people. And yeah. I'm finding all sorts of problems with it. They're not aware of it, but it's like, oh, that moment that I need it isn't there, but where can I put it in? People see this article, but don't realise how much work goes into it. Yeah, exactly. And I think exactly like you say, you have to, in this kind of world, and it is similar what you do as to what I do, you have to not be precious. Yeah. you can't be precious you have to look at what you're doing through other people's eyes and be very um you know critical of it and see what you can do better and if there is something you know if if my boss comes over to me and says well I don't like how you've done that there you you haven't sculpted that bit of foam right or or it need you know it needs to be a bit fatter or or whatever the stitching's wrong you know you can't go, well, that's how I wanted to do it. Or, you know, that, <laughs> you that's the right yeah, way to do it. Or, <laughs> yeah, you could be like that. And there, I've seen, like, trainees and things be like that. And then they don't get invited back. Yeah. You know, so it is important. E even, you know, I think the, one of the problems is they build you up. So, and I, I was the same. You, they build you up so much when you're at university. And then they kick you out. And I know why they do it, because they want you to have that tenacity to go and try and find a job especially in this industry crazy yeah. hard to get into and I think that is really important but then you get some people that that come and they arrive on the job and they're like yeah I know it all I can do everything da, da, da. and you're like you can't you no. can't be like that you you know and I I remember one of my amazing teachers at university Biddy I remember her saying um you know the day you stop learning is the day you stop yeah 
because if if you're not learning if it's not interesting and you're not learning from whatever you're doing then it's it's boring because then it's not a challenge and it's not yeah you know interesting so I think you've got to love what you do as well that's a that's yes. a huge part uh, there are so many people out there who call themselves mus- like magicians and they bought a few tricks they've gone out and performed them whereas yeah. if you actually really want to get into it you have to learn the rules and then you have to learn how to break them yeah and then it's just you you're forever learning I know some of the like I've met some of the world's best magicians who yeah still practice five six hours every other day yeah to try and improve and they've been yeah. doing it most of their life so yeah the second you think oh I don't need to practice anymore we'll just stop doing it not yeah. practicing just stop that job because yeah, yeah you can always improve there's no such thing as being perfect I think everybody has that imposter syndrome, especially at the beginning. And I think when you stop having that, I think is another indicator that, you know, if you think that you're that, that great, that you, you know, that you're that amazing, that you, you know, you're better than everyone else, then it's kind of like, mm, you need to have that hum- humbility, is that a word? You need to be humble about it. And then you can be more critical yeah. about yourself. And get I'm not sure it's a word, but I like it. <laughs> it's a word now <laughs> yeah. uh, moving on from costumes and everything like that uh, tell us more about gorilla knitting so yes so I used to be a gorilla knitter sadly I haven't done any for a little while but we were part well I was part of knit the city we were a group of I think there was seven to begin with of uh, we were all ladies girls and we knitted or crocheted things and left them on the street as a form of street art so completely unpaid just because whatever we wanted to do we would get together as a group you know usually over a drink in the pub (laughs) decide what kind of theme or installation we were going to do and then we'd all go off for a couple of months make stuff and then we'd come together and create an installation somewhere around London and our kind of group Knit the City was different to any others and it was quite early days for gorilla knitting at that at that time or yarn bombing as some people call it um we were different because we were telling stories we weren't just like knitting a flat piece of something you know it might be a pretty pattern or whatever and, and draping it around a lamppost we were having a story to go alongside it. So we covered the ballerina opposite opposite the um, Royal Opera House. We covered her with uh, Nutcracker characters. Lovely. So, you know, she was, she's obviously almost life-size, if not life-size. And we made these tiny, like five-inch high little creatures, characters, people. I remember I did a lot of flower girls and we just had them sort of, um Gulliver style you know with yarn pulling her to the ground and sort of almost like they were holding her in place so we did things like that we did another one where for national wool week or national yarn week which is every year in October I think we made woolly sheep and we put them going across London Bridge because it is still legal to to drive your sheep across London Bridge (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it was always... in the world at the moment I wouldn't be surprised if somebody does it soon <laughs> <laughs> exactly wearing masks or something yeah. stupid um but yeah so we just used to sort of bring 
highlight little stories to people's attention or why is that there why have they made that you know that kind of thing um and it was it was wonderful it was great it was completely freeing very different to my film work you know it was all me it was all my decision if something wasn't perfect it didn't matter I could hide it you know those kind of things it was quite liberating to and then to set it free to just leave it yeah. who knows where it's going to go it might go in the bin it might be loved by somebody you just you know it's quite yeah. it's quite liberating quite freeing or it might be picked up by somebody they keep it for a few months and then they pass it on yeah you just don't know yeah, yeah. um so you say you haven't done that for a while when you're not making amazing costumes for film and tv what other projects are you working on how do you fill your time apart from like family life <laughs> and clubhouse <laughs> Uh, Clubhouse is far too much probably but anyway um, so I have a YouTube channel I started that in September and I teach people how to sew and I aim to inspire people with new projects and I have lots of tips videos and techniques so there's, a, there's an awful lot of stuff out there and I wanted to give people kind of professional view it might not always be the right view, but that my my view from having you know worked in the film industry, I wanted to do that, and I wanted to, you know, uh, get rid of some of this creativity in my head and have a reason to make stuff for me and for my family. If I'm honest, it's a it's a good kind of excuse. Oh well, I've got to make it for this video, um, so then I get to keep stuff. Whereas before, you know, before lockdown, I'd never made. Uh, no that's a lie I'd made one or two dresses for myself um right. and this since starting YouTube channel I've made a pledge this year that I'm not buying any clothes for myself I'm allowed to buy shoes or if there's a special occasion and I don't have time that's my kind of get out but otherwise everything has to be made so I made this dress that I'm wearing nice um that you obviously <laughs> can't see if you're listening but I made yeah. this dress um and so yeah so that's my pledge it's a bit of kind of you know, uh, climate action thing as well and going against uh, slave labour and things like that. But yeah. so I'm going off on a tangent. So I have my YouTube channel. That definitely keeps me very, very busy. I bring out a video every Thursday or Friday. So that's that's going well. I recently hit, uh, I think I'm on 1,700 subscribers. Um, awesome. So that's going well. Thank yeah. you. We'll put the link to that in the description for the podcast so people can Thank just you. stick through. And you're on Instagram as well? I'm on Instagram and on YouTube and on Facebook, and you can find me there as Studio 7T7. So there's a T, letter T between the 7 7. But if you search on uh, YouTube for Studio 77 uh, sewing or something, it will come up yeah. anyway. Um, so that's been keeping me busy also in lockdown because I don't sit around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also started a podcast actually. Um, so that is currently on ho hold on a hiatus just because of the nature of what it is. So it's a travel podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, so for obvious reasons, people aren't traveling. And I, I think people airport, don't But I couldn't go anywhere. So this is my journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, people naturally don't really want to listen to amazing trips they don't want to be inspired because we don't know when we're going to be traveling again but if you would like to be inspired or just to relive someone's trip and hear all the ins and outs 
I interview people about their recent trips, another reason why it's on hiatus. Yeah. And it's all coming from the UK. So it's it's for, you know, UK-based people. And it's really interesting trips. So it's not your kind of weekend in Spain sat on the beach. It's, um, you know, I've got two trips to Antarctica, two very different trips. One was a medic who went on a tall, tail, tall sailing ship for six weeks as a medic. Uh, so that's very interesting. And then another one who went as a photographer, as a tourist. So it's quite interesting listening to those two and seeing how very different they are. I've got lots of um, Disney World trips and there's so much that goes into Disney World, you know, all the different techniques that you can kind of hack the lines and where Ooh. you're going to go next and all this kind of thing. And you might do it differently if you've got a family or if you're going on your own and things like that. So I've got a few Disney World trips. Um, I've got some around the world trips as well, which are fascinating. One couple got caught during COVID, had to travel back during COVID and all the restrictions um, and got caught in, you know, in riots with tear gas and all sorts going on. So, wow. yeah, so they are, they're really interesting trips and I absolutely love interviewing people about, it's like having, you know, sitting down with a friend, having a coffee and, and hearing about their trip, you oh. know, where they went. <laughs> Sorry. Just having a chat. <laughs> just having a chat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just it's just interesting to see or to listen, should I say, how they would to how they would do it differently and where they would recommend and why they went with the people they chose to go with and and if they would do it differently, that kind of thing. So you can find that at um, the podcast is called Trip Report. So you can find that on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, so that will be starting up again, but probably, I don't, well, we don't know when we're traveling again. Know. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but Boris's email or phone number, drop him a message going, Emma wants to start her podcast again. Can you? <laughs> yes. Everybody needs to do that. <laughs> and I'll be back. Start a petition. Uh, one last question before the main, like last question. Uh, do you have a retirement plan? So when you finish making costumes and everything like that, what's the ideal situation? What do you want to do in your old age? I would love for my YouTube channel to take off and my podcast too. I mean, I yeah. love them equally. Um, I'd love to be able to do stuff on my own terms. As much as I love the film industry, I can't see myself lugging around costumes, you know, uh, in my old age. So um, I would love to, to keep that going, keep the YouTube going, build a community is starting I'm starting to build a community and I'd love to build on that more and help people to learn or help inspire people to learn to sew um yeah that would be the ideal scenario Perfect. for sure and maybe um, someone will invite you on like a holiday it's like come with us and you yeah. can be part of the story <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll go I'll go on some sewing trips and uh, and then do the do the podcast <laughs> yeah put them fam trips there you go put them down to the business so uh <laughs> the last question this is what i finish the podcast on every time i have a guest on and for you the answer might be a bit different uh what's the best magic trick you've ever seen well, i had to really think about that so there's two that i would like to say so one i think i might have mentioned to you before when we were on star wars uh, Dynamo came round the set and he did some uh, little tricks and bits and pieces and I was getting Jonas out of his suit and I am five foot two and obviously Jonas is nearly seven foot <laughs> and um, so we were 
we were, you know, I was getting him out of his suit and Dynamo was doing a, a very small little kind of gig, little mix and mingle sort of thing. Set. Yeah, but in the middle of the set with the director, the producer, you know, have some board, all the rest of it. And I was a bit like, oh, I really want to go and see it because I, I, you know, I like Dynamo and I love magic. Thank um, you. Who doesn't? <laughs> 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 um, so uh, we went, so I went to the back of this kind of now quite fairly big crowd of all the crew. It was very small where we were. I was kind of jumping and sticking my head up to try and see. And the guy in front said, oh, do you want to go in front of me? Kind of thing. And I was like, oh, yes, please. And then the next guy turned around and I went in front of him. And then the next person. So I went like five people deep. <laughs> Sometimes there's a benefit to being small. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was right at the front and I got to pick a card and everything like that. So that was really, you know, I'll never forget that. That was really special. And actually Dynamo was at the rap party and I retold that story to him and, and he, he was really, you know, he was like, oh, that's amazing. So that was really nice. Um, yeah. But I think technically the best trick I have seen uh, was, and I think I've mentioned this to you as well, uh, was Ben Hart at Edinburgh Festival. Um, it was a very small um, show. We were right at the front. I'm always kind of like, I'll have to be at the front. Um, and he did the same trick that he did on Britain's Got Talent, where he changed a piece of paper into an egg on a fan. And it was like literally a meter from me. Yeah. And I didn't take my eyes off of that fan. I didn't blink. <laughs> and it was just like... I mean, I don't know anything about magic. I don't want to in that yeah. way. I don't want to know the ins and outs and how it's done. But I but I still, you know, I really love it. I want to keep it magical. Um, and that was just like, wow, mind-blowing. And if you haven't seen it, then I'm sure it's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I remember I go to a magic convention every January. Obviously, this year it's later. Uh, and he did that trick on stage. And you're sitting there and your brain just switches off the magic side. Go, just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, yeah, so basically gets a big fan, uh, throws some confetti up into the air and one of them lands. Uh, but I think everyone's written something on first. And he gets yes. his piece of paper and he kind of fans it. And all of a sudden it starts to kind of take a form of an egg, but he's like bouncing it. And then he catches it and cracks it on the glass and it's like a real egg. And you're sitting it's there going, egg. I don't want to know how it works. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's really magical. Yeah, his whole show was amazing. Definitely yeah, and the way he thinks as well. Mm. It's like everyone yeah. thinks, oh, magicians are competing against each other. It's like, no, we're not. There's not that many of us in the world in the grand scheme of things. Let's mm. support each other. Mm. If there's yeah, something exactly. you they do that you like, tell them. Yeah. Um, and I presume that's kind of the same in your industry as well. If someone yeah. like, makes something really cool, you kind of congratulate them. Yeah, there aren't that many fabricators in the UK. Um, and given that Hollywood is pretty much the UK, not Hollywood yeah. now, um, you know, it's it's a very small kind of niche. And we all know each we all know each other. Um yeah. so that that's really nice as well. Perfect. Um I will just say as well, <laughs> if we can get this in. Um, yeah. For my podcast, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook as Trip Report Podcast as well. Perfect. Again, we'll put all the links down below so people can just click through to make it nice and easy for you. Thank you. So thank you so much for being a guest. It's been a pleasure talking to you and actually seeing you kind of face to face. Yes, it's over a screen, but soon enough we'll be able to catch up in the real world and I'll show you my magic tricks. 
<laughs> it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your week and uh, I will speak to you soon.